During the interview, I realized almost immediately that the woman was pregnant. I guessed she was about halfway along, but she didn't remark on it, and of course, neither did I. Over the phone, we discussed only her three-year-old daughter. The woman, whose name was Diane, was looking for a babysitter for the girl, whose name was Sophie, two mornings a week from 9 a.m. to noon for $10 an hour. This was in late January 1997, my senior year at UW, the University of Washington, and I'd seen the job advertised on an index card pinned to the bulletin board outside the Career Center, the information in tidy blue cursive. Lightning Recap in The Richest Babysitter in the World by Curtis Sittenfeld, a college student babysits for a rich, famous family before they become rich and famous. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast. I am Christopher J. Garcia Esquire III, here today with Princess Christy L. Baxter of the Moravian delegation. I don't know. I, we're just making this up as we go along, and I'm not so great at that. I actually have a team of writers headed by Bruce Valanche, who is doing all of my uh, improvs here. So, uh, good work, guys. <laughs> hey, hey, Christy. Yeah, 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 yes. I just finished each and every one of the Babysitter Club's book, and I really need a childcare-themed story to get me through this week. What story should I read? Well, uh, if you enjoyed spending that time with Claudia, Marianne, Stacy, and I think there's another one, uh, then you should read The Richest Babysitter in the World by Curtis Sittenfeld. Damn it, what's the fuck? <laughs> I actually did read all the Babysitter Clubs when I was... Uh... Mid thirty something, uh, but uh, so this story here is a—it's a much bigger story than I would have expected going in, and certainly much bigger than from the title, which literally sounds like the title from an early nineteen seventies Disney live action film, probably starring Kurt Russell. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> Yeah, the richest babysitter in the world. And you really kind of like wonder where that's going to go. And it does actually give you some hints as to what's going to happen and what sort of thinly veiled public figure we might run into here. But you don't pick up on that until it's time to pick up on it until until Sittenfeld wants you to. A thin veneer, a exceptionally thin veneer. <laughs> it's barely there. It barely counts as a veneer it, it it's 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 not it's not much of a veneer but I think that was on purpose yeah and I think the beautiful part of this story is we are treated to a single character's I think it was 25 years of their life in snips and snatches and just little teeny nibbles and bites and where we get these sort of the extended segments, it's really fascinating because it really talks to how memory of big moments to you that aren't necessarily bigger moments outside of you, but that are parallel to things that are much bigger outside of you 
sort of happen. And the, the basic flow of this story is a college student uh, completely unethically gets a job babysitting <laughs> for a family where the dad happens to be like a Jeff Bezos type. Uh, a Jeff Bezos type. It's Jeff Bezos with a different name. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Although in this time frame, I knew Jeff. And it's not exactly while the the sort of the form of what his how his life progressed is sort of portrayed here. Him as a person is not shown here at all. In fact, this Kevin is way nicer. <laughs> but it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. What we see is this is obviously a story of a character looking back on her life. And what were sort of the key the key moments. And this actually speaks to something that uh, I've sort of looked at while I've been looking at uh, the whole idea of memoir uh, is that there's this, these powerful moments that aren't necessarily what you would think. She doesn't talk a lot about, you know, her kids being born, but there's a great moment where is she three and they're at the table and she sort of gets to have a sort of an interplay within this bigger story that she's, only nominally a part of this idea of how the richest man in the world came to be the richest man in the world and falls and so forth. Um, But we're granted this character who I think is fascinatingly neurotic. Yeah, neurotic, definitely. uh, That sums it up. (laughs) Very neurotic. Uh, Very much constantly examining moments and sort of being hyper aware of the possible meanings, dissecting moments. And and it just is very much, yeah, there's, there's some neuroses here. And it's not only that she is, uh, she's just remembering this straight line memory towards, oh, this is how I dealt with uh, uh, Kevin T. Worley. Uh, back when I babysat his kids. But there are moments that sort of disintersect, I guess. Uh, the wonder, the one that I love is when she's with uh, her friend Kevin and the, would you rather fuck Moldy or Smolder or Scully? And I have had this conversation <laughs> in this exact way. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's the things that we hang on this sort of what we see as our main narrative of ourselves and our life and how, you know, our jobs went forth, but we hang these little things that are apart from that. And little stories like this, little points of view like that are really things that stick out to us for some reason. And it doesn't necessarily drive the story forward, but it 100% drives the character forward. Yeah, this is very much more of a character-focused story than a plot-focused story. And Kit here, in her trying to like navigate this this world where her life is changing and she doesn't really seem to know what to expect, and there seems to be always some weird small surprise around the corner, she just seems to 
be developing, but we get to watch that development over time. Like at first it's very condensed over, you know, the course of some months. And then it, it, it's, you know, years and even considering decades. And yeah, it's very much has a feeling. It's the, what kind of furniture would Jesus pick style of story? Mm-hmm. And there's another little aspect to it that I love that also speaks to this idea of memoir is as you come closer to the present, things start happening faster. That you get the the mass of it is always in the past. It's usually towards the beginning. Actually, it's a little usually a little after the beginning. Um, you get like this period where the majority of your remembrance remembrance happens. But as you get to closer to the now, where you're actually creating it, you're getting your s- snippet sort of faster. You're moving through t- not only moving through time faster but you're moving through what you attach to faster. Yeah, well, it makes sense because with with distance comes, honestly, forgetting and deletion of memories, you know? Like we, from the 90s, I might have a certain number of memories now that 10 years ago, I might've had a couple more, but as we, we are distanced from that place and time, you know, other memories become more important and we kind of let some of that stuff go. Uh, so yeah, definitely it, it has that feeling and the, the story captures it very well. That feeling of the distant stuff being few and far between and, you know, just little bits here and there and the stuff that's closer in time being more detailed and more vivid. You're right. And One of the segments that I really love is, again, we're here. We've got another paragraph writer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But one of the paragraphs that does a whole bunch of work, I'm not going to read the whole thing because that would take like a year. Um, But in the middle of it, it's uh, within three months, I'd applied for a master's degree in speech, language, pathology, and audiology at the University of Arizona. And after working in the field for five years, I went back for my PhD. By the time I got a job as a professor at a not particularly well-known college in Northern Illinois, it was 2008 and I was 33. This was the job I, this is the job I still have, though I'm tenured. I met my husband through a dating website. And the first time we had drinks, I drove 40 mile, 40 minutes to a bar and grill in Rockford. Now I live in Rockford and drive 40 minutes to teach. Even just that half of that paragraph is doing so much work. It is, it is establishing a fairly long time frame. That's probably ten years there. Uh, and the beauty of that is that it's nothing here is particularly flashy at all. But it all, with the possible exception of. Uh, I met my husband through a dating website and the first time we had drinks is a, which is a wonderful back and forth uh, sort of shadowing of itself. But, you know, it's so much in this little tiny section that is the transition from this hazy past to her present clarity, I think. Yeah, I agree with you. It definitely is. That does definitely serves as a transition because it is literally pulling us through time over the course of 10 years, maybe even more than that. 
And I feel like you, you nailed down an important point in there about how the fact that it's not flashy, uh, you know, none of this being particularly super exciting. I mean, it's good life progress, you know, but the events of that paragraph are not anything you know, wild or anything like that. And I think that's definitely the, the purpose there is to set that up uh, as, a, as a foil for, you know, Brian Woolley slash Jeff Bezos here to, you know, as a comparison with his life and the life of his wife. Yeah, that's right. Also, have you ever felt personally called out by a short story? Yes, and I know exactly where you're feeling called out, and I'm also feeling called out on another one. You're feeling called out on name dropping, yes? I had never met another famous person, and if Brian's name came up in conversation, mentioning that I knew him felt like an obligation, almost a compulsion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You literally did it during this episode. (laughs) I was like, well, that's on theme. Uh, yeah, I, I, that part was quite shitty because it, uh, it also brought back to me, like, I was like, I had a moment very much like that in college where I had some, like, sweet mates mocking my laugh from next door, like, I don't have ears, and it's the same, very much similar situation as, as Kit is in there overhearing something like that, and it's just people, I'm sorry, people who do that are dicks, so. That's what I have to say about that. But speaking of my laugh, that's where I felt called out because she, when we first meet Ryan, he is this guy who just sort of like has an outsized laugh that it, it's not always well matched to what he's saying. Like he'll say something and then he'll laugh at himself. And I know I do that. And I hate that I do that. And I want to stop doing that. But damn it, I'm, it's hard to stop doing that. <laughs> and there I go again. Correct. Uh, <laughs> oh no! I didn't <laughs> want to be correct about that one. That's the most correct I've ever gotten. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, and what's you know they go into the divorce portion of the story, which is really interesting, largely because we all see these things happen in the public, of course, and we always tend to think of the people involved and not the sort of the literally hundreds and sometimes thousands of people in the orbit of these people. And here she's identifying with the two individuals and pointing out to her that she herself has that her connection has led her to have a very particular view of it that is not informed by, you know, the, decade and a half, two decades of his public persona, but is very much informed by the interactions they had when both of these were obviously different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what the, 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 the hinge on, upon which the story revolves. And it is something that you don't often think about is all the people who knows somebody who's involved in something very public and has been in the public eye. You don't normally think of these people who would have opinions about it and who would have personal memories of that person or those people and personal kind of uh, 
thoughts and wonderings about how the people involved might be feeling as, as Kit does here towards the end. And we don't think about that person. And that I think is kind of the genius of the story that we get a person that nobody ever thinks about. Mm -hmm. You're right. And that's, that's sort of the interesting thing is that when you look at some of the people who are important to your life, if you have kids, the babysitter is one of the key support structures you have. And a lot of times a babysitter or a preschool teacher or a daycare worker is the person who allows you to go out and make the changes that make you Jeff Bezos or I don't know, Steve Wozniak, a good friend of mine, by the way, um, you know, <laughs> that sort of level. Yeah, it is. It is an important person in their life. It, it's, you know, a support person, as you said. Although it, it, just in the, the title there itself, the babysitter doesn't sound that important. So it's kind of this interesting idea where there's a lot more depth to that role than is first advertised by the title. And here's the thing that I think by the end of the story and I reflected back and I realized we'd been sold a bill of goods. Oh. Cause she's identifying herself as what the richest babysitter in the world. Mm-hmm. She hasn't been a babysitter for 20 years. I, okay. I, I think, I think you're, Reading it too literally. <laughs> but that sort of thing is she's latching herself in her memory into her the babysitter period of her life. When she's gone on to be a tenured professor, tenured professors are <laughs> having never been on tenure track, sadly. <laughs> I, I think it's, I read it more as that last, bit of the story where she's comparing herself to Diane, the wife of uh, definitely not Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. And so she's comparing herself and, you know, did yeah, I'll just go ahead and read it. Um, so only, certainly not everyone who gets a PhD goes on to become a professor. And I don't know if Diane wanted to or not. In imagining that she that perhaps she finds her fortune burdensome, I might be letting her off far too easily. It could be that she relishes the power such wealth provides. And yet I cannot help wondering this most of all. If my life of department meetings and strip mall takeout and a mortgage, my ordinary life would make her jealous. That's wherein she's the richest babysitter in the world. Where she's wondering if the normalcy of her life would actually be preferable to the woman who was married to the richest man in the world. <laughs> you know? That is a good point. But I and like to be rather literal about things. <laughs> well, I also, I, it just popped into my head. And also, in Diane's eyes, Kit would still be the babysitter. Kit wouldn't have progressed beyond the point where they were part of each other's lives. Oh, that's a good, that's a good hit. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> um, I love this story. This is really one of the more 
I would almost go so far as to say adorable and definitely thought provoking uh, stories that we've read. And it's, is this the first one from the Atlantic we've read? It might just be, but it's the second story we've read that has referenced the Little Mermaid. So I think we have a an ongoing sort of uh, theme here. That's right. I don't know. Do you know people who are into mermaids? I, I don't know if I do. I don't know if I know anybody who's into mermaids, especially not steampunk mermaids. Anyhow. <laughs> More on that coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any last thoughts on this one? Uh, no, I think actually we covered pretty much everything about this. I, I find it really a fascinating story, a good one. I think I'm going to go out and um, pick up something of Curtis Sittenfeld. You know, I've never read Prep, so I think I, I think now's the time. Yeah, neither have I. I've never, this is actually, I can't say I've ever heard of Curtis Sittenfeld before this. I had heard of her specifically in relation to Prep when it first came out, because I think it made a, something of a splash. And uh, so, yeah, now I'm going to I'm going to look into her more because I enjoyed this short story and I enjoyed her writing. Well, excellent. Hey, Christy. Yes. What should we read next week? We should read An Ocean, the Color of Bruises by Isabel. Yeah. Excellent. Another story from Uncanny Magazine, my favorite. Uh, uh Wow, that came off really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) Yes. Well, while I recover from that, this has been Short Story. Short Podcast. (laughs) 